Hmm. What's really annoying, I find really annoying, is that I often... What do you, what do you find annoying? Tell me. Well, I often practice what I'm going to say in French, or at least like talk to myself in French as if we're right. doing the podcast, right. and it always comes out really good. <laughs> and then we do it, and I'm like, well, yeah. Hey, everybody. Eric Renia here, and welcome to this latest episode of The Numbers. I'm here, of course, with Philip J. Fournier. Philip, it's been a busy, busy week. Oh God! Yes. Good morning, Eric. Bonjour tout le monde. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. We've we have lots to talk about. Uh, a busy week. I'm very very tired, but uh, happy uh, because uh, I think we're gonna have. We're not supposed to have an election, Eric, until next October. How about that? Unless New Brunswick goes, in which case we'll have an election starting. Possibly Soon? tomorrow, possibly oh, today, if you're t- listening to this on Friday. Maybe next week, we'll see. We'll, we'll get to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk first about the, the election that uh, just came to a close. Now, we did a live stream on it on Tuesday night, which was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, the results of the Manitoba election. So, overall, New Democrats win. Wab Canoe becomes the first First Nations uh, premier of a province, which is uh, a big achievement. 34 seats for the NDP, 22 for the Progressive Conservatives, one for the Liberals. And the NDP took about 46% of the vote. The PCs took 42 and the Liberals took 11. Uh, do you have any initial thoughts? One, why don't we start with some credit for you? you, you your projections were pretty good. Uh, thank you, Eric. Thank you for mentioning it. Yes, well, the, the overall numbers that I had uh, was 31 NDP. So women would say, yeah, but it's 34 NDP. The thing is, th- there were margins that were so close when you go seat by seat by seat, uh, I had the right winner in 52 of 57. That's 91%. And I said on the on the live stream that my benchmark for me, it's 90%. So I could miss six and I missed five. And uh, funny thing for those who were watching on, on, uh, on the live stream, uh, I, uh, when, I, when we went to bed, we figured, oh, how is it going to change? Uh, we, let's hope that we don't wake up in the morning and suddenly the PCs have rallied and tied this one. Uh, my results became better while I was sleeping because oh, that's uh, nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Yes, because I we when we went to bed, uh, Dauphin was blue and um, Brandon West was orange. My projections were the reversed, and they flipped back to what they were supposed to be. And so, yes, I'm very happy about this. But again, we we should credit when we have a good model, a good prediction. It's because the polls did well. Yeah. Uh, I always say if the polls miss, it's not my fault. It's my fault if the polls are correct and I miss. Now that's my fault. Uh, and uh, I could, you know, there's no, there's a few writings where the margins were off, but generally when you look at the whole province, the the, the polls were pretty good. For the NDP, Eric, the polls were between 45 and 49 percent, and they had 46. That's yeah, right on, right? It's right and, where you want it to be. And the PCs, the, the, the polls were between 39 and 41. And I think as you and I both predicted, the PCs would overshoot that a little bit and they got 42. So um, I think the, the results were what we expected. And I think there's something <clears throat> and I, I think there's something to learn from that, which I, I, uh, I always find, which is the value of the kind of work that we do, is that when the results are similar to what we expect, then 
that's good. That means we understand the dynamics of how the election unfolded. When they're different from what we expect, we can usually learn things from that, right? So when you see that the PCs actually outperform the polls, it's because not the polls were wrong. It's because their supporters, as the polls suggested, were older and would be more likely to vote. So there was that turnout effect. But what it also told us, I think, is that we were wondering by the end of the campaign, why are the PCs doing what they're doing? (laughs) Their, their, Their advertisements... Uh, you know, standing firm about against the landfill dig for the uh, two indigenous women that police suspect are there. Uh, it's interesting. We see the federal government dec- announced yesterday they're going to get involved in that. Yeah. Um, Good timing. At, at, at the end of the campaign, this vote like no one's watching because no one is, which is just a bizarre, like mind blowing. <laughs> like, why are they doing this? Yeah, it. Part of me was like, well, maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they think there's this silent majority that is ashamed of the fact they're still going to vote PC because they don't want an indigenous dig uh, to dig up the, uh, the the victims of the serial killer because they're indigenous. Some really kind of dark dog yeah. whistling kind of thing. And that maybe it was going to show up at the polls, but wasn't showing up in polling. Uh, but the fact that the PCs only beat their polls by about a point or two suggests to me that it's just turnout. It wasn't that there was this silent majority that was kind of a shy PC voter that was staying home. So that's, I think, what the value is of of knowing ahead of time what to expect on election night. So I think the PCs really kind of... they. I mean, those kinds of ads they had during the campaign were kind they of... They were deep. bizarre. Yeah. They, and they were also, like, to not to have a, a, a partisan view on it, they were not appealing to the better angels of our natures yeah. or, you know, so to the fact that they lost to me is a little bit karmic because, you know, we both of us, we don't like politics in the sense that it can be very negative. Right. That's we true. want positive politics. We want people to be happy to be engaged in it. We want uh, intellectual honesty in arguments and these kinds of things. So when you have politicians that aren't doing those things and they lose, I'm usually happy about that regardless of whether they're liberals, New Democrats, or PCs, or yeah. conservatives. I, I want to see people who, who go into politics and, and go about it in a good way get rewarded. Uh, I'm not sure if the NEP had a positive campaign. I don't think they necessarily did. But the PC campaign, I think, was one of the most negative ones I've seen in a while. So they lost. Will there the, be any lessons? I don't know. There's negative, and there's just plain dark. And yeah, that, that dark. went dark for the PCs. Uh, however, I, you know what? I, I agree with uh, what you're saying in general. I mean, you and I, I think, yeah, we, we, we like the truth. We liked constructive criticism. Uh, we, we, I, I don't mind the jousting, <laughs> but the, the bad faith stuff is, is just, this is where I tune out. This is where I think many voters tune out. Yeah. Uh, I would say this, though. I would push back on your argument, however. Okay. They, still got, they still got 42% of the vote. And yeah. Heather Stephenson, even though she was clearly not popular in the polls and she almost lost her writing, although yeah. I think she, you no, know, she she did well in the end, but it was not the blowout that one would have expected. It was a couple hundred in, votes, I think. Uh, yeah, a couple of hundred votes in tuxedo. Uh, I, I would push back and say the PCs have 22 seats and 42% of the vote in this defeat. She leaves her party in pretty good shape. Like, mm. there, there's no rebuilding needed. Basically, the next PC leader has to look at the map and say, okay, I need eight seats for, for four years from now. And you, we know, as, as politics as it is, 
even though the I think what Gnu and his team will do their best after a while it will get worn out the, the, the wear and tear of power will get in there and all the PCs have to do is find eight seats and they win so you know it was dark but uh, I, I don't think I'm wasn't uh, dark enough to push well, people it, away yeah it wasn't dark enough to yeah. for have a, this is not a crushing this is not a crushing victory at all it's it's a real yeah. victory for the NDP but it's not a blowout uh, you win the popular vote by three and a half points or something like that. Uh, you get they did get blown out of Winnipeg. The PCs. That's did. it. Yeah, you. But the PCs as well. They have a very solid base, as you as we've talked before, right? They have yeah. that base of at least nineteen seats that they never have dropped below in recent yeah. memory. They always get at least thirty six percent of the vote, uh, at least again in recent in the last seventy years. So. There's a limit, right? If the PCs would have dropped below 36%, like that would have been the worst result ever. Yeah. And normally, if you can still get 34, 35% of the vote, that's not bad. So, you know, there is a, that kind of thing where the PCs, the, the little gap that they're playing in is so small. And when they end up on the, on the lower side of it, then they lose an election. But you're right. They do still, they did still get 42% of the vote. They still won 22 seats. Uh, so this wasn't a rejection of, their policies entirely, but it was a sign that it wasn't going to be enough to win an election to get those swing voters because 42% is more or less the base for the PCs, I think, yeah. in Manitoba. And that's kind of what they were reduced to in this campaign. Is there, and the thing is, we could follow that. Is there, are there consequences? from this election, lessons from this election to other premiers in the country. We mentioned uh, maybe uh, uh, Monsieur Higgs in uh, New Brunswick. He might go into an early uh, snap election. There's Scott Moe right now going uh, using the notwithstanding clause to go after trans kids. Uh, are they looking at this result and say, oh, it's not a good idea to go to follow that path? I am not sure that there, there's a message mm. here considering the PCs have fared okay in this election. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe it shows that it's not going to be necessarily something that costs you yeah. a lot of support. Uh, but you would look at these results, though, and I, to me, they say that the swing voters didn't didn't react well to this. Now, there aren't really swing voters in Saskatchewan. The, the <laughs> SAS party does so well, so they don't really need to worry about this mushy middle. For Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick, that one I'm not so sure, um, yeah. especially when you look at how things did in the cities. So you mentioned the Winnipeg number. So I looked at the partial count because I can't understand why, but Elections Manitoba still hasn't actually finished counting votes. Yeah, uh, There's still a few polls that are outstanding. But the last time I looked, the NDP won 52% of the vote in Winnipeg. The PCs went down to 33%, so that was a drop Ooh. of four points. What I found really interesting here is that the gap between the two parties is 19 points. The last time the NDP won in 2011... They only beat the PCs by 15 points in Winnipeg. Outside of Winnipeg, PCs got 57% of the vote. The NDP got 36. So the NDP vote went up 11 points, less than it did in Winnipeg. But here, the margin was 21 points for the PCs. Right. And in 2011, the margin was only 16 points. So what you're seeing in wow. this campaign compared to 2011 is that Winnipeg got more New Democratic than the last time the NDP won. But the yeah. rural areas got less... You know, relatively speaking, right. the the outside of area, areas outside of Winnipeg are more PC than they were in 2011. So to me, this looks more like a, a, the urban-rural divide between Winnipeg and the rural areas that we've seen in other provinces is getting more exaggerated. Uh, 
which maybe works for the NDP and limits things through the PCs because of how many seats are in Winnipeg, like you were you were saying. Yeah. But I, I found that interesting result, and maybe that does in some way reflect some of the policies and and the uh, the tactics that the PCs used during this campaign. It really, I mean, it's the Alberta effect that we saw. I mean, there's not a you know a Calgary an equivalent of Calgary, which is with did vote NDP, but it was traditionally conservative. Uh, this is, I think, the, the the greatest polarization right now. You would say in the West, but let's yeah. focus on Canada. It's not age, it's not gender, it's cities versus rural. And usually the suburbs in the middle could get to decide. But yeah, 32 seats in Winnipeg, including the suburbs, and the PCs won three. Ooh, yeah. ooh, that is bad. And, uh, you know, it worked for the uh, for Daniel Smith and the UCP in Alberta because they, they just had enough support in Calgary and in the regions. But in a place like Manitoba, where Winnipeg ha- holds most of the seat, this is a losing situation for the PC. Again, even though I don't think they did that bad. Uh, we should touch. Yeah, go ahead. But first, I just want to, uh, what you were going to say, it is a losing by ma- mathematics. 32 seats. Yeah. And if you only win three, the other parties are getting 29. And there 29 is what you need for a majority government. So yeah. you can't just win three seats in Winnipeg and hope to form a government. It's just not going to happen. It's just literally impossible to happen. <laughs> we should mention uh, shortly, I think, what happened to the Liberals. Uh, Who? S- the, <laughs> the Manitoba Cindy Lamoureux, if you allow me. Uh, mm. The only Liberal left. And uh, some have pointed out that provincially, the only liberal left of what Thunder Bay. <laughs> no, I, actually, I had said that on what? the on the podcast. You did say but, that, yeah. Wow. But I forgot that the liberals didn't win a seat in Northern Ontario, so it's actually the only provincial Ooh. liberal. There is some liberals in Yukon, but there are provincial liberals. The she's the only one west of Toronto. That's true, huh? Yeah, that's kind of nuts. Well, yeah, well, it's kind of nuts in, in the branding sense, because let's sure. be honest, the, the NDP in the Western provinces, they look like a liberal parties in the East. It's just that the branding went, the liberal branding went to, uh, went yeah. to, went south. Um, except, except maybe in BC, there's, that's the one where there's actual, actual New Democrats, maybe, uh, but yeah. With the the former BC United yeah. used to being that liberal brand, but and it is a, it is a yeah. sign. Yeah, maybe they should have stick around <laughs> with it. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. It doesn't seem like it's a winning brand right now, but Ooh. it is remarkable that. Uh, and you know, even when you're talking about federal liberals, uh, between the Rockies and Thunder Bay, there's only uh, a couple in Winnipeg, and that's, that's it. it. Yeah, and that's it. And yeah, Dougald Lamont loses in his seat, so he's gone as leader. As you mentioned, Cindy Lamaru is the only liberal <clears throat> MLA, so she's probably the leader by default. And uh, and Heather Stephenson as well uh, said she's resigning. That is actually going to be really interesting to see what that leadership race is going to be. Because she defeated Shelley Glover, who was definitely coming from the right side of the party, yeah. uh, flirting with anti-vax kind of people, that kind of thing. Will the PCs look at the results and be like, well, we should have done that. We okay. should have gone even more further to the right. Uh, which I think would be wrong in a province like Manitoba, which isn't as conservative as, as Saskatchewan or, or Alberta. Yeah. Or will they say when Heather Stevenson was more on the progressive of the progressive conservative side of things, things are going better in the polls. Maybe that's the kind of leader they need going forward. That'll be curious to see because in the end, it'll be members who decide. And the membership is not always aligned with the general public, oh, the swing no. voters. Uh, <laughs> no, as we no, saw, because no. Shelley Glover almost won that race. It does wow. make you wonder what that this campaign would have been had she 
uh, had she uh, had she actually won. You would think probably darker, but uh, yeah. But maybe it would have worked. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, we did play a little bit of a game last time. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Nice. And we chose what would be the closest <laughs> to the pin. So we each had to choose four ridings to see. Uh, we wanted to choose the four closest ridings. And yep. so the, the, the person who chose the four ridings that had the combined smallest margin would win. So I had chosen the riding of Selkirk, Waverly, Riel, and Seine River. You chose Tyndall Park, St. Boniface, Interlake Gimli, and Kirkfield Park. Now, when I last looked at this, again, the, compl- the results were incomplete, so they might have shifted around a little bit. Mm. You actually had <clears throat> two good cho- choices. Interlake Gimli, the PCs won by only seven points. In Kirkfield Park, the NDP only won by six. But those liberal seats, the liberal vote collapsed in St. Boniface, and the NDP yeah. won by 21 points. But amazingly, stood firm in Tyndall Park, and the liberals won by 29. It wasn't a close riding at all. So your combined score was 62 points. If I may pause on this, ridings. on this, if I may mm, pause on this, because yeah. I don't want to sound like a sore loser. I know no. it, will, it, will, it will sound that way, but uh, I, I screwed up. Because mm. when I chose Tyndall Park, I really had in mind River Heights. I really did. But it, it, I lost. I know I lost. It sucks. Uh, but I remember I want to I pick two liberal seats, St. Boniface, which in hindsight was a bad choice. But I did want to pick River Heights. And uh, I don't know, it, uh, brain fart, as we say, and I chose Tyndall Park. But, uh, but you go ahead. What was your score? You can gloat all you want. You deserve it. So my worst choice was Riel. The NDP won it by 16.5 points. Seine River, the NDP won by 13 points. Uh, Selkirk, the PCs won by 5 points. And Waverly, the NDP won by 1 point. So that was actually a really good pick. So my combined score was about 37. And what did I have? You had 62. Now, I know you said this on the live stream that you wanted to choose River Heights. The NDP won River Heights by 5 points. If I give you that one... Your total st- score is 39 points. It's still... I still lose, but... You still lose, but it I was still, close. It Respectable. Was <laughs> if we chose now... Now, I looked at what were what would have been the best choices. Right. All right. It would have been uh, Legis Modier, that the NDP won by a point. Brandon West, PCs won by a point. Waverly, which I chose, the NDP won by a point. Tuxedo, Heather Sevenson's riding, she only won by three. Wow. McPhillips, the NDP won by three. That was a shock, because that was a really tight riding last time. Right. Dauphin, the NDP won by four. And Selkirk and River Heights were both won by five points. So if we assume that you did mean River Heights, we would have chosen three of the eight closest ridings, which isn't too bad. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... To again, be fair, we had at the time when we made the choices, those last polls of the campaign hadn't come out. That's true. I mean, this is an excuse that I will use for the next four years. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, but, anyway, I won. But congratulations, Eric. You won this Thank one. You. Well, Well deserved. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the other uh, election that took place this week in Jean Talon. Yeah, um, I heard about it. I heard about yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Eh? <laughs> so this was the by-election in the Quebec City region. It was a Quebec, uh, provincial riding. The CAQ had previously held this seat. The PQ right. ended up winning it, and they won it by a little, quite a bit, quite a bit. It uh, it's it's not just a victory, Eric. It's a blowout. Forty-four percent for the Parti Québécois. 21 for the governing yeah. CAQ. So 23 points. Uh, and 
thing is the, the the regional polls, or rather the national polls that had subsamples in the regions of Quebec, the, the, the région de Québec, uh, it showed that the PQ had gone up quite a bit. But you always worry when you see a big swing, especially in, re, in the, the regional sum numbers. Uh, but those numbers were correct. The, the Parti québécois has shot up in the Quebec City region, in the capital region. And uh, this could have long-lasting effect, potentially, because the Parti Québécois will be seen by many as the alternative to the CAQ. And the CAQ has, I would say so far, François Legault has stumbled <laughs> his post-election, post-by-election reaction uh, by you know, saying that he will reopen the, 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 the Troisième Lien in Quebec City, which was abandoned. And... Uh, I, I think we could look back and say this was a turning point in the current political cycle in Quebec. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering about. I, I think this will be seen as either the point where things started to go bad for the CAQ or the point where they figured out they needed to get their act together. Uh, because yeah. it's, it has to be one or the other, because this is such a huge result in terms of the total swing, in terms of the historic nature of the PQ has never won here. Uh, it is, though... Uh, more of an anti-CAC, anti-CAQ kind of vote than a pro-PQ vote, right? Because you mm. mentioned the Troisième Lien, the third link, this under, underwater tunnel that was going to go from Lévis to Quebec City. The CAQ abandoned that promise. It wasn't necessarily that the people in Jean Talon and other ridings in Quebec City really loved the third link. It was just the, the fact that the CAQ had run on this, had broken the promise, had acted a little bit arrogant about it oh. just to go back <laughs> on it just, what, a few weeks, a few yeah. months after the election campaign. And so the, to see François Legault say, maybe I have to go back on the third link, it, 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 it's, to me, the completely wrong reaction. Because if the reason you lost this is not that you aren't building the third link, it's that you broke the promise and you broke people's trust. If you then say, oh, well, maybe we'll go back to it, we'll go back to it, don't worry about it. To me, that just keeps, keeps up the, well, wh what are you doing? Like, we can't trust you. We don't know what you're going to do. You're only reacting based on results. It seems to me like the, the absolute worst response that he could have i mean uh, it, it makes things worse i think yeah. you know uh, just uh, just be quiet and say well you'll do better and then go back to your quarters uh, i i do not understand this reaction and when i when i heard that first i thought it was not serious that it was a joke or something then i i looked at the commentaria in quebec of course we have uh, you know a, a wide spectrum of uh, of uh, commentators in quebec in, in, in quebec and I did not see a single person, even those who were pro the tunnel, they were in favor of the tunnel. I didn't see a single person that said, oh, finally, okay, that's a good idea. No, no, it's just you lost that credibility. Now you have to work at getting it back. But strategically, and I published this on Twitter for those who want to see it, there, there was a, a léger poll, a, a thousand people in, in, in the province of Quebec. And when the CEQ abandoned that, uh, that tunnel project, uh, which they had promised for two general elections, we should say, 2018 and 2022, and then they abandoned it. Uh, the, the poll said that most Quebecers, by a fair margin, agreed that abandoning the project was a good idea. Of course, in the Quebec City area, it was much tighter, but mm. yeah, in, the, in the regions and the, in the Montreal and in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the suburbs of Montreal, which are very important for the CEQ, uh, it was favorable. So reviving or 
attempting attempt to revive this project would actually cost the CEQ even more. So I don't know. Sometimes when you're under pressure and you're uh, emotional, you make bad decisions, you make bad calls, you say stupid stuff. I think that's one of them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised Francois Legault to walk it back in a few weeks because it doesn't make any sense. For people who are outside of Quebec and see uh, the Parti Québécois winning uh, a big victory here, a party they probably haven't heard of, heard about for five, ten years, um, <laughs> does, you know... The obvious question is, for someone who is just kind of dabbling into Quebec politics from outside of it, does this mean a referendum is coming? Listen, uh, the Parti Québécois and Paul Saint-Pierre-Permondon are very clear about this on their platform. If they get elected with a majority government, there's a referendum in a first mandate. However, it's easy to say that when you're the fourth party. It's easy to say that when you're far away from holding power. The closer you get to power, the, the harder it's going to be. Because for the Parti Québécois, it's always that dilemma. There's a big chunk of Quebecers that still dream of independence. That's, that dream has not gone away anywhere, even though the PQ has gone south in recent elections. Uh, it's just that it's not a majority. <laughs> it's between, depending on the poll, it's between 30 and 40%. And even 40%, that's a really rare. And there's a soft, some soft support in there. Uh, yeah. When Pauline Marois took power in 2012, it was a minority government and there was no referendum in the short term on the table. But it still dogged the PQ in the 2014 campaign because suddenly it's like, okay, so what's going to be the currency of Quebec? Will there be the Bank of Quebec? Will we uh, have a, a, an, an alliance like the European Union with the rest of Canada? And, and they can't answer these questions. Uh, because if you give a clear answer, a lot of people are going to be angry and then you lose support. You need to win an election first. So to answer your, I'm sorry, it's a long answer, <laughs> but to answer your question, there's no short term referendum because the PQ still has only four seats. Uh, but if they do take power, let's say in the 2030 election, uh, they would they would be hard pressed not to do it because their supporters are sure dreaming of it. I think it's important to point out in this result, it is pri- it is a lot of anger with the CAQ and the PQ positioned itself as the best alternative for nationalist voters and a lot of the support that they got and they did get new support turnout was like 55% the PQ actually got more votes than they got in the general election in 2022 which is a remarkable thing in a by-election yeah Yeah. but a lot of those people were 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 voting a protest vote against what the the CAQ done and the style of governing that the Francois Legault has had over the last little while. So while certainly a lot of those people might be sovereignists, not necessarily all of them have it as a high priority. I think here the priority was sending a message to the CAQ. So the challenge for Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon and the Parti Québécois will be to use this as a momentum-building exercise and increasing the party support outside Quebec City. Because in the polls, we, we still see that the PQ is still pretty far behind yeah. in uh, the, the Montreal area and in the, the so-called regions where the PQ spo- is supposed to have its its base of support. Yeah. Uh, but um, that, that PQ rally after the victory, uh, we heard the chant. We heard the chant. On veut un pays. On veut un pays. I mean, I, I was at one of the rallies during the 2022 elections in Rosemont, in my home running of Rosemont. I went there as media. Um, and uh, they that dream has not died. 
for those who say mm-hmm. sovereignty is dead, sorry, you're making a, a, a wish more than an analysis. That for for this this group of Quebecers, which it's it's not a marginal group at all, uh, that dream is will never die as long as it's not done. So rest of Canada, be aware that it's still it's still in the universe. It's it and it's not going away. And the Parti Québécois, if they become the official opposition next time around. Uh, yes, they will get more pressure to, ha- to have a clearer um, strategy, uh, a transparent strategy of what they want to do. But uh, they ha- there's a lot of sovereignties that voted for the CAQ. And those voters mm-hmm. right now are going back to the Parti Québécois. So. Last time we did play another game. Um, no, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> it was an over-under. And rather than just say who won and all this kind of stuff, let's use it as a bit of an exercise to talk about all of the parties. So right. we had set the over-under for the CQ and the PQ at 33%. Yeah. I chose that the CQ would go under. I didn't think they'd go this far under. Yeah. And I picked that the PQ would be over. You chose that PQ would be over in both. Yep. Uh, which, uh, the, sorry, the PQ and the CQ would go both be over 33%. So what 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 do you take from the fact that because I think we both kind of expected the two parties would be somewhere in the mid-30s. Yeah. What do you take from the fact that the CQ did so poorly? Like, the fact that their vote did not come out. And it in could. many ways went out to the other parties. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the CQ has, I, I said this on a previous podcast, a very good get-out-the-vote machine. That's why they always, since they took power, they always uh, surpassed their poll. They always overperform. They really underperformed there. Yeah. And I think... Even though they threw everything they had at it. So you had cabinet minister, you had the the premier himself, Legault, went door to door to get that vote out. Uh, some said it was it smell of desperation. And I said, well, why don't, you, why don't you use the tools that you have? And in, in hindsight, it was desperation. They could not get people out of their homes to vote for the CEQ. They only had, uh, I think, 5,400 votes, or just over 5,000 votes. Uh, that's less than the half what they had in yeah. the general election. Um, it's, I, I expected the CEQ to be somewhere between 28 and 35. Uh, 21 is a big surprise. And again, uh, it's, it's, we should not overreact to a by-election, but this by-election could leave a mark. And I think yeah, that's one part of it. Sometimes by-elections don't mean much. Sometimes they do. Yeah. Uh, so for uh, Quebec Solidaire, uh, we had what set the, the over-under line? line at 20. Oh, uh, yeah. I chose under. You yeah. chose over. They ended up with 17 and a half, I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, to me, this this is just the continued problem that the Quebec Solidaire has, that they want to. They had a chance in the last campaign to emerge as the alternative to the CAQ, and among francophones, you could argue that at points of the campaign they had, but they just had an opportunity here. People were upset with the CAQ. This was the seat where the where QS had finished second last time, and they just couldn't get in that conversation. And it continues to be the problem that QS has that they can't do well outside of those downtown core ridings, like in Quebec City, where they have two, or yeah. Montreal, and. It, it it has they have to wonder what what's it going to take for us to get to the next next level because they're just not doing it. The thing is, uh, the running of Jean Talon is Saint Foy and Celery, and I don't know if you've been to those areas, Eric. Uh, Celery is is a suburb, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Saint Foy, there's parts of it that look like a suburb, and parts of it like it's it's still a high density uh, riding where the Quebec Solidaire should target. And prior to this by election. 
if you listed the most likely writings for the for Quebec Solidaire, Jean Talon would have been among it. Uh, but they, they got completely crushed. They could not get the student vote out, even though many students live on campus or near the campus of uh, Université Laval. And uh, I think this is a very disappointing result because Quebec Solidaire and Gabriel Dubois have been talking a big game about being, you know, a real opposition. Uh, this is a setback. Now, we, we're not saying that it's going to be the case forever. Gabriel Dubois is a smart guy and he's a good campaigner, but the QS has not progressed in the last three, four years. This is a setback and Quebec Solidaire has not been used to setbacks. It sets the stage for the next convention in, in, in uh, Gatineau in, in November, huh? Uh, yeah. Be, it's not going to be as happy a place as it was supposed to be. But uh, yeah. We'll hmm. see what they're chanting. Um, we'll go <laughs> for the last two parties for the Conservatives. We'd put the line to 7.5. We both chose under, and that's what happened. They got, uh, what was it, 6% Six. of the vote? Yeah. Which, you know, party that has fallen off a little bit of the radar as we get away from the campaign. And then for the Liberals... We had set the line at 11, which just shows how little faith we had that they would do well. I chose under. You chose over. You had said like a little bit over. Yeah. And I had chosen a little bit under. I think I said 9%. And they ended up getting 9%. So, yep. uh, yeah, I mean, the liberals just – out. It, it, like to put this into context for people outside of the uh, island of Montreal, the liberals are like the liberals in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Uh, they're just not a factor – they're not even in the game at all. They're like a bit of a minor party among Francophones, get as much support as the Green Party does nationally in a decent poll. Uh, it, it, they're just in huge trouble. And this is just continuing to show that they, they've got no mojo. They've got nothing going on for them right now. Uh, I'm not sure what the analogy would be at the federal or another provincial. Maybe you would know. But for those who listen to this, uh, imagine a party that wins the same riding for 60 years and then loses it. And three years later... They don't even get 10%. It, mm. It's, it's a, a complete utter collapse. And again, if we go back to the numbers, the polling, the polling predicted this. I mean, if you, if you poll at 5% among Francophones and uh, 14% provincially, yeah, you will get single digits in a writing like Jean Talon. I mean, it's a Francophone writing in Quebec City. It's a, you, you have to get that vote. And if you t had told me, let's say you took a DeLorean and you had told me, mm -hmm. oh, the CEQ fell to 21% in Jean Talon, I would have told you, oh, so the liberals have performed pretty well. They probably got 19, 20%. And no, <laughs> yeah. they still got single digits. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I think I said this on the live stream, uh, another live stream. Yeah, we did, we did, yeah, we talked about it in the live stream. But if the liberals think they can still wait two more years to get a leader uh, while they're sinking right now in public opinion, just being drawn in oblivion right now. They, they have 20 seats at the National Assembly. They are the official opposition. They have an interim leader that nobody, lis nobody listens to. And uh, they're, they're just getting obliterated in Quebec media because right now people see Gabriel Dubois and Paul Saint-Pierre-Pamandon as more credible alternatives to the, CQ, uh, to the CQ than the Liberals. You have to do something uh, unless it, that, that loser stench will will stick to you if you keep it up for the next two years. I don't understand their strategy. They, they might only choose a leader uh, in the spring of 2025. That seems to be their preferred option. Maybe Incredible. they're hoping there'll be a federal election in 2024 and some, some Quebec liberals get sh 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 you know, shooken loose from the federal caucus. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Wow. 
How about we move to the? Uh, we have just a couple of things to say about the federal. I think. Uh, I'll, I'll just not too qu- much. Yeah, just quickly the Nanos yeah. uh, poll. I mean, we don't divulge paywall data, but Nanos released its uh, federal numbers, uh, and uh, it I converged towards the values that we are used to toward. I mean, it's, I think it's double digits. It's like Eleven points. Eleven points. Yeah, yeah, eleven point lead for the for the conservatives. So, I mean, Nanos is a lagging poll, as you had mentioned. And I think they just caught up to the, the, the trends that we that Leger and uh, Ipsos and other polling firms had measured. So uh, uh, interesting. The to one see. little the one little right life raft for liberal partisans. Nope. The Nanos poll. We are only behind by four. Yeah, that's gone. That's gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there was a little thing happening in Ottawa. They chose a speaker, Greg Fergus, who's the MP for Halalmer. Uh, he was on my podcast a few weeks ago, so oh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, there you uh, go, Greg. <laughs> yep, that's why he won. But anyway, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I have very little faith that any speaker is going to be able to get those people in order. Mr. Fergus was actually sitting at my table at the uh, at the press gallery dinner. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, and we had a nice chat. He's a he's a very nice man. I. He didn't seem to me as someone that's in your face or something. He was very polite and smiling, asking questions and listening. And, and uh, it seems like a good choice, even though it's a, it's a tough job in this environment. So good luck to Mr. Fergus. Um, uh, we'll, see, we'll see where it goes. We'll see if he uh, becomes a John Burko uh, screaming order <laughs> at the crowd. I would like oh, that. Order! <laughs> I don't think so, but I would like to see sometimes the Speaker of the House to have a little more teat. Uh, Crack a few heads, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, let's talk about some (laughs) uh, provincial polling. Uh, We'll go a little bit more quicker through these. Uh, There was a poll that was done by Abacus. We had talked about the federal numbers last week. Uh, They released the provincial numbers the week after that. Uh, Not too much to say about it. Newfoundland and Labrador, we should say. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. sorry. Um, They had the Liberals, the Provincial Liberals, with 40%. The PCs were at 38%. And the NDP was at, I think, uh, it was 21%. Um, You know, it is more in line with what we've seen in other polls by narrative, for example, that the Andrew Fury's Liberals are narrowly ahead. When you look at the regional breakdowns, probably still good enough for the Liberals. What I found interesting, though, was that the poll included some questions on the PC leadership race. There is, yes. They're going to name a new leader uh, in about two weeks. And it didn't really show that any of them are really well known. Tony Wakeham was the person who had the highest recognition numbers and seemed to be the favorite among PC supporters. Uh, but it doesn't look like when he wins or if one of the other candidates wins that we'll see a big surge in support for the PCs yeah. uh, in, in Newfoundland Labrador. But uh, the next election there is only in a year. So, uh, or is it? No, it's in two years. Sorry. It's, it's in two yeah. years. Yeah, 25. Yeah. Right so there is still going to be some time for uh, whoever the PCs choose to get into into position. But, you know, the, the Fury Liberals are the only Liberals at yeah. the uh, provincial table. So uh, that just alone, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, whether they can actually... Keep part of the country painted red at the provincial level. I would say, though, let's be fair, that in New Brunswick, the Liberals have a chance. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, the Liberals in PEI are way behind. Uh, they're yep. way behind in Nova Scotia. They're nowhere to be seen in Quebec. In Ontario, well, let's get to this. There was a very interesting poll by Palace Data in Ontario. So let me give you the top-line numbers, Eric. Uh, PC, Doug Ford, 33 
then 27 each for the NDP and the uh, Ontario Liberals, 7% for the Greens. Now, this shows that the PCs did bleed some support following mm-hmm. the tough uh, summer and fall that they've had. Uh, the Green Belt story, of course, and the integrity and all the uh, the, 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 the resignations in the, in the Forbes circle. Uh, however, when you see that NDP and OLP still tied at 27, if there was an election, PCs would wind endly right yeah or maybe a minority and if they want a minority in this scenario i assume that the other two parties would would gang up against them but it it, it, you know it doesn't take much right Uh, right. and it just shows that you know the party's at 33 percent, and it's still able to have a six point lead over the other parties (laughs) like it's it's kind of remarkable that the opposition that ontarians can't choose between these two parties uh, and get behind one of them in a big way. It did have some interesting numbers on the leadership race for the yes, Liberals. Yes, yes. Um, you know, polling polling what voters think about who's going to win and all that usually doesn't mean that much. Crombie, though, the Mississauga mayor, had about 50% support among Liberal voters. And the next person, I think, was at 12 or 13 or 15 or something like that. It was Erskine Smith and, and Ted Shue. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's that kind of gap, that, that says a little bit more. But what was interesting is that when they tested them, which is all very hypothetical, but Crombie was the only one who really improved the liberal numbers, got them within spitting range of the PCs, and put some distance between them and the NDP. Uh, So if she ends up winning this thing, we'll see if the numbers move in that direction. But then she still has to make the case for the next three years uh, to... To voters that she, she and the Liberals are the alternative to the PCs. And, you know, that's not going to be an easy thing to do. Uh, the numbers with Crombie, I have them right here. Uh, 31% for the PCs, 29% for the Liberals, 21% from the NEP. And so even though, yes, these are hypotheticals, but we've seen other polling like that that test candidates. And mm-hmm. they're not usually that wrong. Meaning that yeah, so often you see the favorite, the one who would do best in a general election, even though it's a hypothetical. And uh, Crombie here takes a bite of the PC and really takes a bite of NDP supporters, which is I know it's strange. Some people would say because Bonnie Crombie doesn't seem to be uh, on the left side, yeah. <laughs> on the left wing of the OLP. Uh, but I, at some point, I think sometimes governments are, are not are defeated. And so if you want to get rid of Doug Ford and you look at these Premier League numbers, it looks like Crombie is the only one that can take a really big bite out of both the PCs and the NDP. Uh, There's going to be some infighting in OLP circles. Uh, There was some animosity that we saw between the the candidates and the candidate supporters. Uh, We'll see where it goes. But very interesting data from, uh, from Palace, from my pal, Joseph Angolano. We should mention that name recognition plays a little bit of a role in this. So the fact that Bonnie Crombie would be the best known of the liberal candidates probably helps their numbers. Uh, but it is still uh, it still kind of makes some sense that you would expect that when the PCs are polling as low as 31 percent, though that was before the removal of undecideds, um, it does mean that a lot of the centrist voters have to go somewhere else and they seem to want to go to a centrist liberal party. So uh, that would be the formula that would elect a liberal government in Ontario moving more to the left to me does not seem like it would be uh, a winning kind of strategy with the kind yeah. of voters that we see those those Ford Trudeau voters and all that kind of thing yeah um so yeah something to watch and and that race is still only going to end in December so uh and then what's going to happen who's 
what is she going to be the leader for three years outside the legislature? Uh, we'll see. Uh, that's going to be interesting to me because there's no safe liberal seat in Ontario. And no, no, no it's true. Somebody would have to give up a seat or leave. Uh, we don't see that occurring. We just had two by-elections. Um, we'll see. But, it, you know, it, it, there's three years to go. So yeah, long time. It, it, there, should, there should be at least one or two by-elections uh, in the next three years in Ontario. Somebody's going to resign. But, again, it, it could be in a non-liberal friendly place, though. Let's uh, get to our questions of the week. So yes. uh, questions come from uh, supporters of our Patreon. People can make their questions on the Discord that we have, which is also a lot of fun, and the Patreon. Um, and you can go to the numberspod.ca to become a patron. Uh, I'll mention it again at the end, but next week's episode will be our first patrons-only episode. Yep. So if you don't want to miss it, um, you can go to the numberspod.ca. So we got two questions. One of them, uh, they're both federal Um Let's start with the, the, the more micro, and then we'll go to the macro. So we got one from Jaybird on the Discord. He asked if we could talk about if the Conservatives could ever win a seat on the island of Montreal. What would be the best option, and what would be the scenario in which it might happen? When was the last time the Conservatives won in Montreal? I think it was probably 1988, right? It was Brian Mulroney, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, a long uh, time ago. Yeah. So what do you think would be that seat? Well, you would need a split vote. I think the Conservatives came close in a few places uh, in the orange wave of 2011 because it was a split vote. Uh, I always thought that Mont Royal was was it. I mean, Anthony Housefather won with big majorities, and he resisted the orange wave. But it was it was much closer in the uh, in the Harper era. Uh, but to answer with a direct answer to Jaybird, uh, no, there's there's no conservative friendly seat on the island of montreal it's liberal territory uh you know the bloc has won the ndp has won there's the other seats there's 18 seats the 18 federal seats in montreal and none of the liberal ones were really that all that close so Mm. uh unless there's a big wave and a complete meltdown of the liberals in quebec which the numbers suggest it's not happening for for the moment uh the answer is no i i don't i don't see it happening it would have to be uh, seats on the West Island because yep. uh, oh, yeah. you know, the, the Conservatives <laughs> aren't going to win, first of all, a very urban downtown kind of seat and one that is primarily Francophone, right? Nope. So nope. you look at, a, say, like you said, Mount Royal or maybe Pierre Fondalard or, or something like that. And as you said, you would probably need the Liberals to come down quite a bit and the Conservatives have to have a really good candidate. That one race where they got pretty close, if I'm not mistaken, was where Larry Smith was running. Yep. And he was the former uh, president, I think, of the Alouette. Uh, so he yep. was known, at least in Montreal. So they would need someone like that in one of those ridings, and the Liberal numbers would really have to collapse. Uh, you would have to have the Liberals maybe playing hard for the Francophone vote in Quebec and upsetting Anglophones on the island of Montreal. But it's hard to imagine uh, the scenario that produces that. But if the if the let's just put it this way, if the Conservatives are winning an, uh, a seat on the island of Montreal, they don't need it. They're winning <laughs> two hundred seats, and anything else is just gravy. So I'm not saying it will never happen, but in the yeah. current scenario, short term, there's there's not a seat that's close, right? So um, interesting. Do you think they have a better shot of winning a seat in like Laval or the Laurentians no. than they do in the island of Montreal? If you had to choose, like in the greater Montreal area. What would be, you would think, the first 
Like, you know, because Laval, I could kind of see maybe, mm. but I don't know. I have to think about this. Thing is, again, you need a split vote, right? So yeah. in the Laurentians and the lower Laurentians, like the Blainville area, uh, the Liberals and the Bloc do well. So could the Conservatives squeak in between? But the thing is, it's not a conservative region to start with, and it's Francophone. And so yeah. I... I, I I mean, Harper did win in the Outaouais region. Yeah, Pontiac, yeah. Yeah. But that um, is a riding with a lot of Anglophones in it. Yeah, but Anglo-Quebecers are not conservatives by, uh, you know, usually. No. So I'm going to have to think about this. I don't see the Laurentians, not the South Shore. It, it would have to be the West Island and uh, mm-hmm. a seat that, I mean, if, if that ever happens, you take that conservative... MP, and you may name him minister of whatever he wants. So Yeah. Well, uh, don't you remember Michael Fortier, who was uh, yeah. named a minister before he had a seat? That's right. Was? Well, uh, he never had a seat, but yeah, sure. Well, yes, yeah, sorry, he had a seat in the Senate. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got a question as well from uh, Luis Galindo Leva from Patreon. And this one I think was, is, is kind of interesting. Yeah. Could Justin Trudeau repeat what his father did if the Conservatives win in a minority government? <laughs> so this is a reference to 1979, right. Joe Clark and the PCs won a minority government, Justin Trudeau, uh, Pierre Trudeau, returned in 1980 and won that last term, which was one of his most impactful terms. Uh, yeah. There was the referendum in, in Quebec, there was the constitution, all this kind of stuff. So um, do you have any thoughts? I, I have some thoughts. Uh, I, I want to hear, hear what you have to say, but I'll say this, that the times have changed uh, tremendously since then, I think the the shelf life of political leaders is much shorter than it used to be. Uh, when you lose, I think you leave and you go in a sunset and you, you your career is done. Do we have a recent example of somebody that came back and successfully came back? I mean, I'm thinking of Robert Bourassa, but that's not recent. That's the 80s. Uh, and he took a break. As and well. he took a break in between. Um, I mean, Rachel he, Notley almost did it. Yeah, uh, but but she never took a break. She 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 yeah. yeah. But okay, no, go ahead. Uh, I want to hear what you the last one. Yeah. Well, cuz you have to like let's map out how that would happen, right? Because what happened in 1979 is that Trudeau lost and he said he and he indicated he was going to step down as leader of the party, but the Clark government in its sheer incompetence <laughs> fell. Um and because of that Trudeau was still around and so he stuck around as leader. That would it would have to be something like that that almost happens because I agree that things are a bit different now and I think that's why it makes it harder because if Trudeau loses in the next election if it's a minority unless it's a really close minority maybe he would stick around but if it's a a, a large enough minority uh, he probably resigns that night and then he's kind of gone. There's not going to be this dragged out kind of thing that happened with Pierre Trudeau where he's still kind of around for a few months and the government falls so quickly that he's able to stick around. If that kind of thing happens, then I think it, it could produce itself that Justin Trudeau indicates he's going to step down, but he's going to stay on as leader as until a, a, an interim is or, or, or his replacement is named, which I don't think he would do. It's yeah. just hard to imagine because Pierre Trudeau did have a day or two, I think, as leader of the official opposition in that Joe Clark parliament. I can't imagine Justin Trudeau standing up in the House of Commons as leader of the opposition. No. no. Uh, so it just feels... The only way it happens, I think, is if it is so, so close that he stays on and the Polyev government falls very quickly. That is the scenario that could happen. But apart would, from that... Yeah. It would have to be like, what, five-seat different? It would have to be yeah. 
a stalemate on election night that we don't really know what's going to happen. If the, the Poiliev uh, conservatives win a strong minority, it's, it's, it's over. But, you know, the, the 1980 election, I mean, you look at the results and look at the map. The it it almost broke the country. <laughs> I mean, it was a majority for the Pierre Trudeau conservative, but half its caucus was in Quebec. And mm-hmm. it, you look at this number, uh, these numbers: seventy-five seats in Quebec. You remember how many seats they won in Quebec? The Trudeau Liberals in uh, in uh, nineteen eighty. It was like seventy-four. Seventy-four. Yeah, they yeah. lost one. I think it was Joliet. Uh, and and uh, in total, the Liberals had one hundred and forty-seven. So. If you add a bloc Québécois in there, yeah, that's it. That, that's not happening. There's no path. Uh, I, I, how many seats did Pierre Trudeau win west of Ontario in that election? Do you, I, you there was, it's just a tiny amount, isn't it? Zero in BC, zero in Alberta, zero in Saskatchewan, zero in the territories, and two in Manitoba. I don't have the complete map in front of me, but I'm guessing those would be downtown Winnipeg or something. Yeah. Uh, and then a good chunk in Ontario, all of Quebec, and a pretty good result in the Atlantic Canada, and that was it. But th- th- this scenario is not replicable today. You, yeah. You, you can't redo that. So. And if I if I remember correctly, because of that imbalance, Trudeau actually invited Ed Broadbent to join uh, their government just to have some sort of western representation especially because they wanted to uh, go ahead on the constitution right so yeah uh yeah so it, it, a very particular uh, set of circumstances in 1980 could happen again but i think that modern politics is is yeah. a lot faster so yeah. i think that unlikely to happen again We'll go to our final numbers of the week. Um, Why don't you go first? Because I've got a simple one. Well, number of the week uh, that I will release today uh, in L'Actualité. I will have a French and English version on my Substack, though, on 338canada.ca, a Quebec-only poll that had federal numbers. Uh, And those federal numbers have the, the Liberals having a modest, small lead in Quebec, but really the conservatives gnawing away at that block uh, support. So my number is 25%. 25% for the conservatives in the province of Quebec, 28% for the bloc Québécois in that poll. And this is not a subsample. It was a 1,000 cases only in Quebec. So it gives you a good idea. Also, a probabilistic poll, so a phone poll with a real margin of error. Uh, I think this is either a post-convention bump for the conservatives or they are really... Try, you know they are winning some block voters, which could potentially make some three race, three way races in Quebec very interesting in the next general election. What was the liberal number? 34. 34, 34. 28, 25. So thirty four is a lot is, of seats for the liberals. Then yeah, it's a lot of seats for the liberals. It's it's uh, it's a bit higher than other polls, mm. but not that much. I mean, we saw the nanos polls. It's always the low thirties. The latest Leger poll in Quebec, the subsample poll, had the, the liberals at thirty, and so thirty four is not outrageous. But that 28% for the Bloc Québécois, I mean, you're going to see Yves-François Blanchet push back a lot against uh, Pierre Poilievre in the next few weeks and months. My number of the week is one. And it is that Wab Canoe is the first First Nations (laughs) premier of a province. And uh, yeah, I think it's an important thing to mark. He won an election in a province that has a significant Indigenous population, but is still majority non-Indigenous. And he was able to win. And I'm curious to see what this is going to mean uh, for the next few years. So I think it's an important uh, achievement for Wab Canoe. And 
you know, changes the uh, changes the makeup of the uh, premier's table quite a bit, which has oh, been yeah. pretty pretty male and white over the last little while. Uh, so uh, a little bit of a change there, and I think uh, something to uh, mark there. So congratulations to uh, Wab Canoe and the Manitoba New Democrats. Male and white and blue. Uh, this yeah. is and this is a second <laughs> second NDP government in in the country. Uh, let's see let's see how it, uh, it how it materializes. So. And if uh, the NDP gets any bump in the prairies, I'll be looking to see in some of those polls to Ooh. see if that happens. <laughs> All right. So next week is a big week. Starting next week, every second episode of The Numbers will be for patrons only. So if you don't want to miss next week's episode, head to thenumberspod.ca and become a patron. Or I think it's now called a member. I saw this today. Ah, okay. For as little as $5 a month, you'll get early access to episodes every week on Thursdays and get to participate in our Discord where we can chat politics and where we solicit questions for our weekly mailbag so that url again is the numberspod.ca we really appreciate your support for this little project we're just starting it out and we're both having a lot of fun i think and uh, if you were backing us before you needed to we really appreciate that that uh, you know thumbs up of support that we we wanted at the beginning to know that there was some people interested in this so absolutely uh, Philip, uh, uh, I hope more people join us uh, because it'd be fun if we have a nice big audience for our first patrons-only episode next week. And I'm going to get some rest, uh, I have to say, because uh, this was a really busy week. So I'm going to sleep the long weekend away. Do you have plans for the long weekend, Eric? Uh, yeah, we're going to be hosting Thanksgiving for the first time, so that's going to be oh, uh, nice. a, a, an interesting event. Yeah, All so right. we'll see how that goes. I'm have looking forward to it. We've got two Thanksgivings over the weekend. Have fun, my friend. Have fun. And thank you, everybody, for supporting us. We really appreciate that. Uh, talk to you next week on The Numbers. Have a great long weekend. Bye, everybody. Bye.